Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest continues with part six of his teaching on the book of Ephesians. All right, today we're going to talk about the book of Ephesians, part six. Last week, we covered the first half of Ephesians chapter four, basically covering the ministry gifts that God has placed into the church to bring edification and equipping to the saints of God. This week, we're going to talk about the last half of chapter four, which talks about living and walking in the light of God, living right. Now that you've been born again, now that you've been changed on the inside, walk out the life that he's given you. In other words, we want to we want to walk and talk and act like Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Walking in the light of God encompasses every aspect of our lives. So we should desire to walk and talk and act like Jesus. Amen. It's a process of time. Obviously, it doesn't happen overnight, but we should nevertheless endeavor to improve our walk with the Lord each and every day of our lives. Going to get an amen. And there should be a clear distinction between the way you live your life and the way the sinners live their lives. Otherwise, how are people going to be drawn to the gospel if you live just like the devil? Amen. There's no light going out and nobody's going to want to be a part of what you're a part of. Amen. We're going to talk about walking in the light. Ephesians 4 verse 17 through 32. And we are going to get through all of those verses and we're going to do it pretty quick. Amen. Hallelujah. Minimum diversions. You just give me the look, baby. If I'm going off track, just give me that look. You know, steer me back right. Amen. All right. Walking in the light. Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Verse 17 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now, remember that the book of Ephesians was written to Gentile believers. And Paul's admonishing them not to walk as other Gentiles walk. He uses the word therefore to refer to the previous verse. Remember back in verse 16, he summarizes his discussion of ministry gifts and makes it clear that we all have a vital place and function in the body of Christ. Amen. So he's hearkening back to verse 16 when he says therefore. But then he says henceforth. Because he wants us to know that Christians are not to walk in the ways of the world anymore. When they do, hear me out, it only hurts the individual believer. It not only hurts the individual believer, but it hurts the body as well. Amen. If you're not living right, you're not the only one that suffers. The people around you suffer as well, especially the body of Christ. Because you're not. Walking in the light, you're not fulfilling your gift and calling. Amen? It's just that simple. Verse 18. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now, this verse obviously has to be connected with verse 17. Basically, he's saying, don't walk the way the other Gentiles walk because their understanding is darkened. They're completely alienated from the life of God. They're ignorant of spiritual truth. They've been blinded. Another scripture says the God of this world has blinded them to the truth of the gospel. So they can't see it. 
Now, the word translated understanding in this verse is the Greek word dianoia. Dia means through and noia means the mind. So put them together, it means through the mind. The ability to get things through the mind implies that you have the ability to understand spiritual concepts. But unbelievers have no ability to understand spiritual things because their understanding has been darkened by the sin that dwells in them. Amen? They are alienated or separated from God because they have not accepted Jesus, the author of life, and not accepting Jesus in this verse is referred to bluntly as ignorance. Sinners are ignorant because they continue to reject Jesus, who is the answer to all their problems. All of this happens because of the blindness of their heart. So let's talk about that for a little while. The last couple of sessions, I've alluded to some scripture passages and I just sort of danced around them. I want to give them to you in the full. You know what? I want to give you the whole thing. Hallelujah. John chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Did you get that? John said, there's a light that came from Jesus. And in verse 9, he says, that light has shined into the heart of every man and every woman that has come into the world. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, the Bible says the light of Jesus still shines in your heart. What you do with it is up to you. Amen. Either yield to it, use your faith, the faith that was given to you by the Lord, and accept Jesus, or you reject and you, you walk away from the light that's inside you. Amen. But there is light. There's a spark of the divine in every human being. All they have to do is respond to it. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. This is a very, very fascinating passage of Scripture. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Let me stop right there. He's saying the wrath of God is poured out on the unrighteous because they hold and suppress the truth that's been placed on the inside of them. It says right here in verse 19 that everything that can be known about God is already manifest in them for God has showed it unto them. In other words, inside every man, there is an innate knowledge of the existence of God. It's in there. You have to respond to it. Verse 20, not only is there an innate knowledge of the divine, there's evidence in the creation all around us that confirms it. Verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, you've got the light of Jesus shining on the inside of you, the innate knowledge of the existence of God, and then you've got the abundance of the evidence that's all around you in creation, so you've got no excuse when you say there is no God. 
you are without excuse. It's not going to be an acceptable argument when these people stand before the throne of God and said, I was taught that you didn't exist. He's going to go, the light of Jesus was in you, the knowledge of God was in you, and creation was screaming at you that I exist. Why did you not respond? You are without excuse. Verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Let me say this again. I'll recap it again because this is so important. John 1, 9 tells us that God has lightened the heart of every man that has come into the world. Romans 1, 19 tells us that God has given every man an innate knowledge of his existence. Romans 1, 20 tells us that the existence of God is made clear from the things that were made by him. These scriptures make it clear that a person allows their heart to be darkened when in spite of all the overwhelming evidence They refuse to acknowledge and accept God even when they know in their heart that He exists. Proverbs 14 and Proverbs 53 declare the same thing in the lead verse. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. In my view, he's a fool for two reasons. Number one, there is overwhelming evidence in the creation to the contrary. And number two, in their heart of hearts, they know it is not true. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God because he knows better. Verse 19 is talking about these people that have their foolish heart darkened. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now that's King James, so I need to break it down a little bit. The phrase past feeling is a reference to the fact that they no longer respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He's trying to convict them of their sin and lead them to Jesus. Instead, they have chosen to reject Him and to pursue the desires of the flesh instead. Now, lasciviousness means sexual immorality, unbridled sexual immorality. And uncleanness there is sexual impurity in the thought life. These things operate in their lives to the point that they have become greedy and will do whatever is necessary to satisfy their fleshly desires. Amen? Not a good place to be. But, verse 20 says, but... Ye have not so learned Christ. In other words, you know better. You don't need to live like that anymore. Amen. We have something that the sinner does not have. We have been born again, and the Word of God has come alive in our heart. Colossians 2, 6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Now, I know that sounds like a random verse, but how do you then walk with the Lord after you've been born again, after you know the Word of God. Well, how did you get saved? How did you receive Christ? It says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. In other words, the same way you received Him is the way that you walk in Him. Romans 10, we all know this, verse 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. 
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Amen. We walk in Him the same way we received Him. We believe the Word of God in our hearts, and we confess it with our mouths, and we take appropriate actions of faith accordingly. I heard a testimony recently about drug addicts who had it drilled into their consciousness after they got born again that they were the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And I heard a testimony about these drug addicts who are trying to change their soul and renew their mind to the Word of God because they've been born again on the inside. They're trying to get what's on the inside to affect what's on the outside, their soul and their body. And her testimony about people that were shooting up heroin while they were confessing, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And it sounds wacky, but these people did it so often that they begin to believe it in their heart, not just confess it with your mouth. And then one day they were completely free and they were not shooting up heroin anymore. Think about that. That's bold. You're shooting up heroin and you're saying, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I don't struggle with heroin, but I struggle in my thought life like most of us do. And, you know, rather than beat myself up when an impure thought comes into my mind, I do this. I think pure and lovely thoughts, true, honest and just thoughts, thoughts of virtue, thoughts of praise and thoughts of a good report. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. That's what I think about. That's what I dwell on. I reject these thoughts in the name of Jesus. I cast them down. I bring every thought into obedience to Christ. Amen. That's what I say. After you quote a couple of verses like that, the, the bad thought is nowhere to be found. I found out something about mind battles it's not possible to just stop thinking about something you have to replace it with something else and think about something else why not replace those impure thoughts with the word of god amen it'll make a difference amen it'll change the way you think and eventually it'll change the way you act amen hallelujah glory to god hallelujah so i need to Back up to verse 20, so that 21 makes sense. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Amen. That means if you've accepted Jesus, you can clearly hear His voice on the inside. If He lives in you, you hear the voice of Jesus. If He lives in you, you have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. And He teaches you the truths of the Word of God and shows you how to walk them out in everyday life. Verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Amen. Here, Paul exhorts believers to put off or discard the conversation. That means your manner of life of the old man and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We all know the mind is the battlefield, right? In other words, we need to transform our minds by the word of God. Romans 12 two. renew our mind to the way that God thinks. 
He thinks according to his word. We need to learn to do the same thing. Amen. Verse 24. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Let me stop right there. Listen. Your nature was changed when you got born again and you got a new nature. And the Bible says that new man or that new woman is created in true righteousness and holiness, just like God. That means there's one third of your being that's just like God. One preacher puts it this way. One third of my being is wall to wall. Holy Ghost. I like that. I'm wall to wall. Holy Ghost. And the challenge of the Christian life, obviously, is to get that part of you that's pure and holy like God to affect the rest of you, your soul and your body. Amen? So the Bible tells us to put off the old man because he's dead. He was nailed to the cross. Put him off. There's just a remnant of the old man that lives and tries to cling to the soul and the body. But on the inside, there's a new man that's pure and righteous and holy, just like God. Think about it. I know we don't look in the mirror and we don't always see this person. But there is someone on the inside of you, if you're born again, who always wants to do right, who always wants to walk in love, who always wants to read his Bible, who always wants to pray, who always wants to worship God. There is a person in you that's just like that. Like I said, the challenge is to get him or her to show up on the outside. Amen? You got to put off the vestige of the old man and put on the new man. You know, my wife and I had this discussion many, many times about people that are put-ons. You know, I don't want to go to church and just put on a happy face like everything's going great in my life. Right now, my life is a wreck. Why can't I go put on my real face, you know? Well, you know, and we've had this discussion. It depends upon who you think your real person is. Because if the real you, well, if they saw the real me, they wouldn't like me very much. I beg to differ. Remember, the real you is the man I just told you about. He always wants to do right. He's filled with righteousness and holiness. So when you act righteous and you act holy, even though you feel crummy, it's actually an act of faith. You're putting on the new man. Do you see that? So it's all right to be a put on as long as you put on the right man. Amen. Anybody get that straight? If people knew the real me, I'd be drawing crowds. That's what you should be saying. Because they'd see there's somebody just like Jesus. That's the way to think about it. Hallelujah. Verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So Paul tells us to put on the new man who's been designed and created just like God, and use him to put away lying and other manifestations of the old man. Amen? Notice, it is our responsibility to do these things. We need to put off and we need to put on. Based on 
What's happened in our lives? Have you been born again? Are you filled with the Spirit? Then put off that old crabby man and put on the new man. Amen. Hallelujah. Now listen, crabby man shows up pretty regular with me and I have to put him off, you know. And I have to say things like, I will not be a crabby older man. I'm just not going to be that. My wife will remind me, hey, that crabby guy's showing up again. Yeah, crabby. Grumpy, grumpy old older man. I'm not going to say old man because I ain't old. Y'all know the definition of old, right? Your current age plus 10. If they're that, then they're old. Glory to God. We've been born again, filled with the Spirit, and have been given the ability to understand and apply the Word of God in our lives. God has given us the tools, but we have to make a conscious decision to allow them to operate in our lives. Amen. Verse 26 and verse 27. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Now, while I never think it's a good idea to hold on to anger against fellow believers and fellow humans, that is, I actually think these verses are talking about something else. We are, as believers, authorized to hate the devil and his kingdom. You can hate the devil completely. You can say things like, I loathe him. I abhor him. I hate the devil because of what he and his crew have done to this earth. All the lies and the death and the devastation. I hate that and I hate the author of it. And I hate him completely. And it's okay. I believe these verses are actually encouraging us to hate the devil and his crew with a fervent hatred and the sin and the lies and the death and the destruction that they are ultimately responsible for in this world. Now the word translated place in verse 27, neither give place to the devil, is the Greek word topos, which means ground. Don't give any ground to the devil. Listen, once you have conquered certain territories in your life, don't give them back to the devil. Fight to keep your victories over Satan and let it be known that you hate sin and you're not going to walk in it anymore. Stay out of sin and don't give the devil occasion to operate in your life. Listen, this is an example that has stayed with me for 20 years. It's the example of David when he fell with Bathsheba and he was confronted by Nathan. I want you to listen to this. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. In other words, Nathan reassured him, God has already forgiven you your sin. But verse 14 makes it clear that there are consequences to sin in this life. Verse 14 says, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme 
the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. In other words, I don't believe it was God's will for that child to die, but when he sinned with Bathsheba, he opened the door for the devil to come and steal from his life. Amen? So that's the number one reason I don't want to sin anymore because I don't want to open any doors to allow the devil to bring anything into my life. I'm completely confident in the shed blood of Jesus who has forgiven me for past, present, and future sin. So my motivation for not sinning is not to stay out of hell. My motivation for not sinning is not to open any door, not the slightest crack to let the devil bring something into my life that I don't want or need. Amen? It's a different mindset. It's a hate of the devil and it's a hate of sin. You don't hate the sinner, but you hate the sin because you see what the sin does to their life. Amen. Glory to God. Verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Again, we see the theme of these passages is to walk in the light of God. If you were a thief before you came to the Lord, change occupations and put your hands to the work of the Lord. Verse 29. Everybody in here is guilty of this, so I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. You know, I'm also stepping on my toes, I guess is what I'm saying. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Anybody in here besides me said something that did not minister grace to the hearers? Amen. (laughs) Corrupt communication tears down. It pulls other people down and it corrupts your soul. If you used bad language before you were born again, change the way you speak. Listen, from time to time, Bad words will still slip out of my mouth. I don't get all condemned about it. Okay, so I'm not trying to be sweet, poly, purebred with you. I'm just saying, if you got a foul mouth, ask the Lord to help you change the way you speak. Amen. Also, other than just having a foul mouth, if what you have to say doesn't edify, even if you don't cuss, If it doesn't lift other people up, then just don't say it. Well, it's the truth. Yeah, but you need to speak the truth in love. Some things don't need to be told people, you know. Somebody that's extremely overweight, you don't need to go up there as the sentinel of the Lord and say, you're fat and you need to change. It might be true, but that's not the truth in love. And God doesn't want you doing that because it pulls people down. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Edify. Lift up. You know, I've had people come to me, you know, that were overweight. And, you know, they're conscious of it. And they say things like, well, you know, I'm, I'm so heavy. You know what I say? We could all stand to lose a few pounds, including myself. I say that. And people go, are you kidding me? Trust me. You can find flab if you look hard enough. <laughs> Amen. What'd you say? Anywhere. Anywhere, yeah. 
You see the difference? I said what I said because I didn't want that person to feel lower than me or inferior to me in any way. Because that's not godly. Use your mouth to bless people, to lift them up, make them feel better about themselves. If they're feeling hopeless about their weight, since we're talking about that, give them some encouragement. I got a friend that lost 100 pounds on the keto diet. If he can do it, you can do it. And just leave it at that. Just say, be blessed. You are loved to the Lord. God's got a great plan for your life. All right. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 sort of summarizes verse 29 of Ephesians. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now you need to tie verse 30 to verse 29, talking about corrupt communication. Corrupt communication grieves the Holy Spirit and will stop Him from working in your life. So if you got a problem with your mouth, go to the Lord and say, Lord, I really need some help. Listen, some people, when they get saved, when they get born again, when they get filled with the Spirit, their foul mouth dries up immediately. I was one of those people. It's just like the faucet turned off. Okay? Other people still, it's a discipline they have to walk in every day. Okay? No condemnation. Some people who are addicts or alcoholics have been delivered instantly when they got born again, filled with the Spirit. Others have to walk it out by faith. Okay? So don't be condemned. Okay? Amen? I am not targeting anyone's sin or anyone's weak spot. Amen. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Corrupt communication is sin, and sin grieves the Holy Spirit. When you grieve the Holy Spirit, you prevent Him from working in your life and in the lives of others. Amen? Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Amen. Glory to God. And instead of bad language and bitterness and wrath and anger, Verse 32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. For Christ's sake, forgive other people. That's what the Scripture says. Tender-hearted comes from the Greek word eusplagnos. You means good and splagnos means bowels or guts. You put them together and you get good bowels or good guts. Many times in the Old Testament, the Bible speaks of bowels of compassion. And this was an expression that referred to a compassion that rose up deep within a person's inner man. Okay, So good bowels or good guts is talking about goodness and righteousness in the deepest part of your heart. When Jesus ministered on the earth, he was often moved with compassion in the same way. The deep-seated compassion of God allowed him to forgive the sins and heal the bodies of those around him. He even forgave those who tortured him and put him to death. How many of us think we could do that? I'm not sure I could do that.
when others sin against you, be mindful of the fact that God has already forgiven you your sins. And you know what they are. So be quick to forgive others. Let the deep-seated compassion of God rise up from within so that others will see the love of God in you. Show them your good guts. Show them your good bowels. <laughs> in Jesus' name. <laughs> oh, praise God. This is going to be an interesting podcast to edit. <laughs> so to summarize, in these last 16 verses of chapter 4, Paul encourages the Gentiles at Ephesus not to live the way they used to. He makes it clear that once they're born again, Christians need to walk in the light of God. When we walk habitually in this light, we can learn to walk and talk and act just like Jesus. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Part 6 of today's teaching on the Book of Ephesians. Come visit our website at GoFaithLife.com where you can learn more about us, access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, and find Dr. Forrest's in-depth teaching notes. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. 